0: This is Krista Grant, the co-writer and co-creator of uh, the Redemption comic series from Worthy Chaos, and you're listening to the Horror Squad podcast.
1: Hello, welcome back to the Horror Squad podcast, episode number 281. Tonight we're talking about 1999's The Blair Witch Project. I'm one of your co-hosts, Todd. We have Joe. And we have Steve, who also has an interview. Steve, what we got?
2: We do. We have an interview with Carissa Grant. She is the writer of a comic book series by the name of Redemption, and she is here to promote her newest entry, Chapter 5. So, uh, yeah, talk to Carissa about comic books, and it's a very graphic comic, a lot of blood, a lot of that kind of stuff. So, something new for our show, I thought, uh, why not? Let's, Let's promote some, you know, indie horror creators out there, and great interview, so check it
3: out at the end of the episode.
2: Very cool.
1: You guys have anything going on lately? Good weekends?
3: Mm, what did i do not much i went to the doctor i was talking off the air I went to the doctor for the first time in years i decided i'm getting old it's time to take care of myself so and then i've you know high cholesterol boring stuff like that but hey take care of yourself people you know don't be like me you're almost at 40 it's uh No, that's why the the old rubber glove comes into play so oh yes get the one finger two better make it three (laughs) i've
1: had i've had the finger up the butt already at 37 and it was uh it's uh it's awkward it's awkward also you got to remember too like people are like well the doctor's gonna make fun of me and like dude they see like 100 patients a day with all sorts of weird shit like the finger up your butthole is gonna be in and out of his memory (laughs) unless you like moan or something weird (laughs) make it memorable but yeah let's go get your health checked out because it's important
2: yeah absolutely what about you todd anything new in uh todd world
1: todd world let's see no just you know kids sports and stuff um old man foot problem which is fun off the air talking about it gotta take some medication for that plantar fasciitis is not fun Is where your tendon like Cares a little bit in the bottom of your foot connecting your heel to the whatever is back there oh not cool that's about it steve what about you yeah
2: that's the problem with us right one weekend we're talking about fucking going to texas meeting all these celebrities having like great barbecue and the next we're like yeah we went to that clinic got checked out yeah <laughs> you never know with us uh, nothing special on my end i uh i spend most of the weekend swimming and going uh pool and hot tub and just enjoying the short period of summer that we get here so Uh, Yeah, it's awesome. I I love this time of year. So it's uh, yeah, hopefully I'll get to do it a lot this year. You know, last year, a lot of rain, so I couldn't do it. And then I got COVID for like a month. So didn't get to enjoy it last summer, but trying to do my best to enjoy it this year.
3: Yeah, we've barely hit summer here. We had like two days that were like 90, and then this whole week is going to be in like the 50s. So that's fun. It's like, but whatever. Um, Hopefully next weekend will be better because we're supposed to be going on our first Tiki cruise. Our last Tiki cruise got canceled, so I'm excited to finally get out on a boat, weather permitting. And Then Red Sox, Yankees next Sunday. So that should be fun.
1: Are you getting in any, are you uh, talking shit so you guys fight kind of Yankees? Boston nah, fans or?
3: no like that back in the day absolutely but nowadays <laughs> the rivalry isn't as strong as it used to be mainly because the red sox suck now or one team or the other has sucked neither team has been like mm-hmm. both competitive it's not, it's not against fun, each other yeah. so yeah so it's not as fun when both teams like aren't in the race so it will happen again one day but as of right now it's still a little, it's a little cooled off i mean there's still a little bit of uh you know back and forth between fans but nice. not as crazy as it once was All right. Excellent. So I think it's
2: time that we spill a little tea.
3: Oh, you want the tea?
2: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We don't serve tea. Nope. Instead, you get a cup of Joe. And now here's Joe with the news.
3: All right. Thank you so much, Chuck. And here we go. Here it is, your cup of Joe for the week. Let's start off, I suppose, with a little sad news, but news, I I think that was pretty expected. And that is that Robert England has said he is officially finished playing Freddy Krueger. Cue sad music, I know. So he recently did an interview with Variety Magazine to promote his documentary, which Steve and I had the interview with last week, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story. It is out now. You can stream it on Screenbox. Fantastic documentary. Definitely check it out. But uh, in his interview, he said, I'm too old and thick to play Freddy now. I just can't do fight scenes for more than one take anymore. I've got a bad neck, bad back, and arthritis in my right wrist, so I have to hang it up. But I would love to cameo. I know as far as they asked him who he would like to see play Freddy Krueger, and he said he would like Kevin Bacon. Of course, he mentioned once again, uh, he says, I know he respects the genre, and he's such a fine physical actor. I think that in the silences and in the way Kevin moves, it would be interesting. So I don't think any surprise there, guys. No more uh, Robert England playing Freddie. The fans can finally put it to rest. He said he would like to cameo, though. So, I mean, what do you think? Do you think maybe we could see one more Nightmare on Elm Street with a stunt actor and then we see sort of Freddie and Robert England and up-close shots? Is that the way you'd kind of want to see it? Or would you want to see just no more England and a whole new actor kind of in that role?
1: Uh, When I imagine him saying cameo, I think maybe he's saying like he walks by in the background or he has like a small speaking role it's nice that he's putting it to bed because then you'll always have that speculation and maybe fans won't allow a new um to take over but kevin bake is no spring chicken either you know like you wonder if you want to go even younger and just cast an unknown actor in that role that's you know fits the um physical attributes of uh, a young robert england
2: Yeah, it depends on what kind of involvement he really wants. Uh, I always thought the next one should be a passing of the torch. It might be one of the only ways that people accept a new Freddy or a new dream demon. It doesn't have to be Freddy. And I think it would be cool if the movie started where people don't believe in Freddy anymore. And he's so weakened that he needs to transfer over his powers to maybe someone uh, more powerful. And like that, he doesn't have to do any action. He could just kind of be, you know, in a chair or... Uh, just talking, right? And just have him at the beginning and at the end of the movie. So, or maybe he just wants to appear in the movie as Robert England and just kind of show that it's because if he's in it in some way, he kind of endorses the project, right? Regardless of how big a role he is. So we'll see. But I'd like to see him involved in some way just to pass the torch.
1: I love that idea of him giving over. He can, the character can even remain Freddy Krueger, you know, if you just make it in a way where like he's transferring his evil essence like you know like his vessel or whatever doesn't can't survive for whatever reason and then it gives to another actor kind of like what they try to do with the cory angle even though that failed right. miserably but um yeah i like that you can definitely please the freddie krueger fans both ways with having a minute and transferring the torch hopefully they do that steve write it up and email yeah, we will, will do <laughs>
3: It is, it, here's my question though, do you think the fans will accept it? even if England gives his endorsement, passes the torch, said this is going to this guy I fully support as a new Freddie Krueger, I still think the fans are not going to accept it. I mean, he's fucking 75 years old. You have to accept right. it,
2: you know? He's not going to come back. That's just the way it is. That's Life doesn't work that way. So it's either you accept it or you don't and stop watching him. But they're going to watch it anyway. It's like people bitch about Call of Duty, and then the yeah. next year they buy Call of Duty. So it's That's just... Me. <laughs> it's It's Yeah, it's an, it's an empty, um, you know, threat. So yeah. I, I think people accept
1: it. If you, if you want the character to live on, you have to. What other choice do you have? If it, I don't think it's... A Nightmare on Elm Street. If it isn't Freddy Krueger, like if they name it fucking John Rogers or whatever, it's not the same, you know. So they got to keep Freddy in there. If you like, uh, I think Steve, you brought it up. Um, what's his face that starred in the remake? He was a good Freddy minus the CGI face. So like, that's well, he's also older too, though. So
2: yeah, he can't do um, it anymore either. Yeah. Jack Jackyroll, he's a great. There Is, you go. Uh, he's a good actor, but it's just it was the wrong movie, I think, for yeah, for sure, for that. But yeah, yeah. he was he was a good one.
3: Well, one actor did throw his hat into the ring immediately after following it, and that is Mr. Devin Sawa has thrown his name into the hat to play Freddy Krueger. Do you think he could pull it off? No. <laughs> <Nah>.
1: <laughs> not not from what I've seen. Not that he's a bad actor, but doesn't. Hmm. I haven't seen anything that you know would say, oh, that's Freddy-esque. What about uh, David Howard Thornton?
3: Art the clown. I saw, you know, I saw someone actually throw that out there recently in, a, in the art, the clown fan group, and I don't hate it. I mean, he's tall, lanky. He I mean, he could good physical maybe presence. right good physical presence. I really haven't seen his like acting chops, though. You know, obviously, he's a silent actor. So to my acting in, in those movies. So I guess, you know, I'd have to kind of see how he could do in that role. But I think he definitely has the physical presence to pull it off.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think we've seen enough of him, like, speak and do things because Freddie's a very involved, like, it's everything, right? He needs to be physically able to do it. He needs to be able to perform under makeup, needs to talk really well, uh, be charming but creepy. It's, like, a very complex role. So not a lot of actors. I'd really try to put someone really good. Like, I think we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, Bill Skarsgård would be a good one because he can talk, he can act, he he can do it under makeup. So I think he'd be probably a better contender
3: one last thing what do you what do you say to the fans that think the franchise should die with robert england that robert england is freddy krueger no one else can can do it like him and that just don't make any more movies let the franchise die i'd be fine with
2: it in theory i just don't think that's the reality of hollywood so i'd rather see it passed off than you know in five years down the road they make a fucking just absolute mockery of uh the series and that'd be fine if they said you know what this is done we're never going to do another one of these i'd be fine with it
1: yeah i agree and i would hope that they would do what we've talked about for the segment where it's you know a continuation by replacing frederick krueger in a a clever way instead of the stupid soft reboot where it's Freddy Krueger, but a completely different Freddy Krueger, then I think people will be more upset with that. But like I said, if they transfer the, like his essence over into something else, I think that's where you go.
3: Yeah, we'll see. I th- like I said, I, I, like we were saying, I think there's just too much money to be made with this franchise for them just to not move forward with it. I talked to that with John Casier too at Texas Framework Week when I met him. I asked him about sort of the M. Night Shyamalan. Version of Tales from Crypt that was supposed to happen that ended up not happening, and basically, I guess it's a whole thing with EC Comics and like rights and stuff like that. They don't have certain rights and stuff like that, and that's why that one got shot down. But I was like, man, I was like, I don't know why, like they they needed like do something with that franchise, just like they need to do with Never on Elm Street. So we'll see. All right, next bit of news here: a little bit of update on Beetlejuice Two. I know a lot of fans recently um, have come out of the woodwork and have expressed their concerns about the sequel and what is going to happen as far as is there going you know the or, what made the original so perfect was the use of practical effects and no CGI. Obviously, the way over the past thirty years CGI has become the forefront in movie making. Well, Michael Keaton recently came out in an interview to kind of cl- you know, curb everyone's fears. And he said, we're doing it exactly like we did the first movie. There's a woman in the great waiting room for the afterlife, literally with a fishing line. I want people to know this because I love it. Tugging on the tail of a cat to make it move, making stuff up, making stuff happen, improvising and riffing, but literally handmade stuff like people creating things with their hands and building something. Uh, Keaton continued. He said, it's fucking great. It's the most I've had... Working on fun, I've had work on a movie. I can't tell you and I can't tell you how long. So there is a little update. Beetlejuice, of course, will be releasing in theaters next year, September six, two thousand and twenty four. So there you go, folks. It's gonna be practical. Don't worry. I'm sure there will still be some CGI involved um, just because Hollywood can't help themselves, but we'll see.
1: I think you got it, man, and uh, otherwise you're doing claymation again right from the original and i don't know if that would fly right now but yeah if you use cgi to enhance it there's no problem with
2: that i just hope that it is just enhancement because tim burton recently has been using cgi a lot like his last four or five movies have been completely cgi practically so uh hopefully he kind of steers away from that and goes back to the practical nature of his early films all righty
3: next bit of news mandy moore into the further? That is right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it has been announced, of course, we are very excited for Insidious, The Red Door, that is going to be releasing in theaters this summer, July 7th. Well, Blumhouse recently announced that they are working on a spinoff series titled Thread. It will star uh, Mandy Moore and also Camille Najanji. Um, I know him as the More Tide Guide um that you see him in commercials he was also um from god what was that show on hbo that was really uh silicon valley as well you might know him from that as well so right now the only description provided for thread and insidious tale is this with the help of a mysterious stranger perhaps Elise, i don't know we'll see uh, a couple reeling from the loss of their daughter zoe journeys into a terrifying realm known as the further in a desperate attempt to change the past and save their family. So, I, I and mean, what do you guys think about this? Are you know? Do you think a, a spin-off spinoff uh, series for Insidious is, is the way to go here? I mean, we'll see.
2: <laughs> so, some of the Conjuring offs are pretty good, like some of the ML yeah. ones, right? So, true. I mean, they could be good. I, I don't know. It, it really depends. I, I do like stuff in the further. So, hopefully, uh, they can expand on that. I know the uh, the teaser information that came out with this announcement. Was uh, from the red the lipstick demon, so I really like that character. So, yeah, I'll I'll watch it probably. Yeah, Mandy Moore ain't no good, but
1: <laughs> no, nah, I just didn't hey, come I, on. I, I don't think she's a great actress, so <laughs> uh, that's hey, people loved
3: her. And this is us, she was very popular, yeah. And uh, yes, and, I,
1: uh I only know her from that shark movie, and she wasn't good 27 minutes below, I think.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah that's right when she was in the cage i forgot about yes, i forgot she was in that i completely forgot about that movie took it out of my brain <laughs> but we'll see i mean it's something i'm sure we'll definitely end up covering i mean i think you know it could be good i like the the one actor there whose name i'm sure i butchered um and maybe him with mandy Moore together will be good all right next bit of news to our little update on robert eggers nosferatu remake luckily it made it past the writer strike and it has officially wrapped on filming in Prague no other update as far as release date yet or anything like that but they filmed they wrapped on filming on May 19th so now we head into post-production Nosferatu of course is going to be starring uh, Willem Dafoe, Bill Skarsgård, Nicholas Holt and Lily Rose Depp so I'm I'm obviously super excited for this I think Eggers is the, the perfect director to take on Um, this role i've also seen some people complaining well it's been done to death a million times yeah what do you guys think Are you guys excited for this or do you kind of agree it's kind of been done to death and what new can you really get from this story excellent cast and
2: 2023 update let's do it i'm so psyched about this one eggers is like the perfect person to make this movie so uh, if he can do it in the same style that he did uh you know the lighthouse yeah, I'm I'm fully into this. I think it's going to be awesome.
3: Awesome. All right. And finally tonight, sing it with me, everyone. The witches, the witches, the witches are back. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. Hocus <laughs> Pocus 3 is officially confirmed. Uh, of course, Hocus Pocus 2, a massive hit for the Disney Plus streaming service. Disney's uh, Sean Bailey, a Disney exec, flat out confirmed it to the New York Times. He said, yes, Hocus Pocus 3 is absolutely happening. No other news whether the sisters are going to be back or not. I'm sure they are. I'm sure all three have confirmed. I'm sure the money is being thrown at them. So I guess my question is, what do you want to see, I guess, out of hocus Pocus three that can make it better from the last one? Oh, I got Bart noise. I don't know, man.
1: Two <laughs> was I know we kind of were positive on it, but i I know we all agreed afterwards. It kind of sat a little rough in it. Definitely wasn't that good, so uh, I don't know what I want to see. I, definitely some returning cast members from Part 1. That'd be cool.
2: Yeah, that's basically all I want to see, is uh, to see the kids back from Part 1. Uh, even if it's just a cameo, I think it'd be good to get them and kind of close out this this trilogy, I guess, at this point. you know, So have the old old school with the new school defeat the witches one last time. That's what I want.
3: Yeah, 100% agree. Obviously, we got to, you know, we're after meeting Omri last year. We all loved him so much. We would love to see him get a little love in this new movie. So, we'd love to see Omri and Vanessa Shaw back. Even the bullies, like, bring them all back in small little cameo roles. I know there was, it was rumored that what's her face? Dora Birch was supposed to star or supposed to like have a cameo in the last one at the school principal but i think she ended up committing to like wednesday and then she ended up falling out of that role as well so you know yeah i mean it'd be great to see them all back but at least one or two you know returning characters to kind of bring back that nostalgia but also this movie isn't for us it's for you know young children obviously and tweens and stuff like that but you know as long as it's you know fun um I'm sure they'll be in some enjoyment of it. I hope they film in Salem this time, unlike they like they did in the first movie. They didn't in the last one, and it definitely showed. I feel like it'd be great to see like those old filming locations from that first movie back in this one, even in just background and stuff. I mean, that would be really cool. That would bring nostalgia too. So we'll see. Um, I doubt they'll do it, obviously, for budgetary reasons. I'm sure they'll end up filming in Hollywood or some cheaper area, but uh, we'll see. And that is it for horror news this week. I hope you enjoyed your cup of Joe. Thank you. So that was the cup of Joe. Let's tune
2: it to a cup of coffee with Deadly Grounds Coffee.
3: Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating; It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for, and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting.
2: What
1: Watched? Uh, I have one title, and it is a what read, called The Massacre at Yellow Hill, written by Mr. C.S. Humble. And uh, yeah, this one is set in like the old West, right? We got cowboys, we got miners, we got everything going on. We got Native Americans, all that stuff. But we also have vampires and we have a secret society who's trying to bring back some end of the world shit through a evil Necronomicon-like book. There's an old mine and the owner of the said mine is just making everyone work super hard, unsafe conditions, blah, 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 because according to his AKA Necron- Necronomicon book, which is the Necronomicon, I forget what it's called. There's a portal to some kind of like other world or something where if you get to there, you can bring back some evil deities. Also, we have an old um, slave that has been freed and he has uh, the, the white man that freed him. Um, his son is now the son to the recently freed slave because the guy fighting evil died and the, the black gentleman swore to uh, take care of his son and become a vampire hunter as well. So that's pretty cool. And we follow them around as they're on trails of killing vampires until they eventually hear the news of this town called Yellow Hill, where they have this mine and some evil shit going on. So the boy and the son, I mean, sorry, the man and the son travel to Yellow Hill to confront that evil. It's very popcorn-y, very like um, B-movie-ish, and I was into it. So I gave it a solid um, three out of five on Goodreads. So that's The Massacre at Yellow Hill. That's all I have.
3: Alrighty. My first one tonight is a horror short that uh, I found over on YouTube. It was released 2022, but might have been released more uh, 2023 release. I'm not 100% sure on this, but it is titled "The Chair." 25 minutes. You can watch it completely free on YouTube. This one is about a gentleman who, while driving down the street, finds a chair on the side of the road. He decides to pick it up, bring it home. He comes. He goes home. He kind of gets into a bit of a fight with his girlfriend about this chair in the midst of the fight about bringing home the chair. He ends up back exactly where the chair first was no recollection of how he got there. He goes back home, realizes it's been a week, basically a whole week of his life has happened, not acting like himself and stuff like that. And from there, some weird and supernatural stuff uh, starts to happen. And I'll leave it at that. This one was extremely solid. You know, you you never know what you're going to get when uh, you're watching uh, short horror films, but this was shot really well, acted really solidly, and has some genuinely very creepy uh, moments. It's definitely like a mind-bending sort of horror movie, And one, I think that could have been tightened up a little, obviously with these shorts, you know, there's no sort of thing to kind of tighten up scripts and whatnot or re-edit them and stuff like that. But um, this guy, uh, Curry Barker is his name. I think he has a promising career ahead of him. I looked up his letterbox in IMDb. He doesn't have much else on his repertoire. So I'm assuming he's a young gentleman um, or someone just getting in the genre, but I think this guy can do some really great stuff in the genre after watching this short. So I highly recommend it. I gave it a, I gave it a three and a half out of five just cause I think it could have been, I think the ending could have been a little more, a uh, little better, but overall I definitely recommend checking this out. Like I said, it's only 25 minutes. Check it out on YouTube. It's called the chair.
2: Cool. My first one is a 2023 film that I watched over on shutter and it's called influencer. So after seeing uh, the gems that were Sissy and Deadstream last year, I was looking forward to watching this after seeing it on the list of uh, upcoming Shutter releases. So this one is about a social media influencer who goes to Thailand and she's kind of rediscovering herself while doing her kind of social media thing on Instagram. And she meets this other woman who kind of shows her the ropes in Thailand and how to live differently than she had been. So she takes her to this uh, you know, remote island in the middle of nowhere and really kind of makes her reconnect with herself because her phone doesn't work on this island. But all of a sudden, she leaves and leaves the influencer on the island. And interestingly, it doesn't pick up from the person that's left on the island. It picks up from the person who left. And then she like takes over her life where with like A.I., Uh, like computer stuff she superimposes her face with the face of the influencer so it looks like it's still the influencer posting but it's really this other girl and she's taking all the you know adulation from people but then her plan starts to falter when her ex-boy, the other girl's ex boyfriend starts looking for her and then there's another influencer who comes to town that she tries to do the same thing and she starts catching on and then it becomes kind of a cat and mouse game of trying to keep things together while keeping her influencer her life that she stole from the other girl. I thought this was a really interesting film. I think there's a lot to love about it. It's well acted, well shot, uh, and I was like really genuinely curious as to where it was going. And it it went in a pretty cool way. Now my issues with it is I don't really understand the killer's like motivation, well, not the killer but the person who like leaves people on the islands motivation other than just wanting the adulation. But since it's not her, they don't really go deep into her psyche about why exactly she's doing all that. And I found the ending to be a bit predictable, but I do think this is worth a one-time watch. It just missed out on uh, making my top 10 so far of the year, which is not saying much. So that's Influencer. I gave it three uh, out of five stars, and it's on
3: Shutter. Very nice. All right, my last one tonight is a Mexican horror movie titled Husera. The Bone Woman. This one is about a uh, woman who becomes pregnant uh, and, you know, very sort of excited for it when she ends up being sort of cursed by this uh, sort of entity, I guess. And it starts, you know, she starts kind of seeing essentially like all these like crazy sort of sort of humans subhumans that kind of crack their bones and make all these like, like sort of weird cracking noises and stuff like that and yeah like it's just a continuous thing where she's being sort of haunted and stalked by these sort of this I guess the bone woman if you want to call her call her that but it's you know multiple sort of people and whatnot and yeah I mean this movie is like definitely uh steeped in symbolism um it has a lot to do with you know a first-time motherhood but also deals with um postpartum depression which is something i haven't seen a lot of in horror movies i guess i mean you see it here and there there was one in particular um we interviewed the director i can't think of the name right now it'll come to me later but that that is one that was done really well as well but this one overall is is pretty solid i think this one will definitely hit you a certain way if you are a mother or have dealt with, you know, the tr- the sort of complications that derive with being a first time mother. The My God, the sound design in this movie is amazing because the bone cracking noises are just fucking so unnerving and do so well. The lead actress is fantastic. She definitely carries the movie. As far as negatives, I think there's definitely some patient- pacing issues and the ending i felt to be a little lackluster because this i mean this definitely has like a, sort of like an a24 vibe going for it but there was just something missing to me i still think it's a great maybe not a good movie not a great movie i gave it three and a half out of five i, was, I, le- I left it i left a little bit frustrated though because i really thought this had potential to be a top 10 contender but For me, I think it just misses out on that. But I definitely still think it's worth your time. It's worth a watch. You Sarah the Bone Woman. You can check it out. It's available for rental. $199 rental is really cheap. It also says it's available on AMC Plus and Amazon Prime. So I don't know if those are rental costs or if you can check this out for free on there.
2: All right. Uh, My last one is another 2023 film that I watched over on VOD. And that's There's Something Wrong with the Children. So this is a story of two couples, uh, one couple who have no, kill- no kids and one couple who have two kids and they're kind of hanging out together at a, at a cabin and they go into the woods to explore and they find this abandoned building that's there and there's all sorts of creepy shit that abandoned building and specifically there's this just giant pit that goes to nowhere and the kids seem to be really interested in this pit and as soon as they stare at it they seem to change their demeanor a little bit so they go back to the cabin and the couple that have the kids they're having trouble intimacy troubles and stuff like that and the other couple decide to babysit the two kids for one night so the other couple can go off and like you know have sex or whatever so uh, next morning the couple you know that are babysitting wake up and the kids are have disappeared they can't find him anywhere. And that's must be a freaky feeling because it's not their kids. So the dad, you know, the guy, not the dad, but the, the guy goes into the woods and he goes to the place that they went to, figuring they probably went back to that interesting looking building. Sure enough, there they are right in front of the pit and poof, they jump into the pit and then he's freaking out. But as he goes back to the cabin, the kids are there again, but they are completely different than they used to be. They are two absolute little monsters. They kind of remind me of two like two of the same character of the good son, you know, Macaulay Culkin's character, but two of them. Like they, uh, at face value, they look like they're good kids, you know, especially in front of their own parents. But when they're dealing with him and his wife, they're absolute monsters. It's like they're trying to get him in trouble. And then there's a whole mystery as to, is it actually the kids? What really happened to the kids and all that stuff. I think there's a great story here. Uh, it's super well acted, super uncomfortable if, uh, you know, dealing with other people's kids going wrong and the the blame between the couples and everything like that. It was like an uncomfortable watch throughout the whole thing. And I really enjoyed the mystery around it. I was really curious as to what went on. Unfortunately, I think it holds back. Like it could have gone further. And it, if just they had turned up the intensity and the creepiness i think it could have been really special but because of them holding back it felt kind of incomplete and i didn't overall look like where it ended up but i do think it's worth watching because it is still a pretty good movie so that's uh there's something wrong with the children which i gave three
3: out of five stars and you could watch it on vod
1: didn't you watch one,
3: I did. I gave the same exact uh, rating as Steve, and for all the same reasons. I I, I echo his thing. Like, it's worth It's worth like a one-time watch. But yeah, it's just nothing that, unfortunately, had potential to be amazing or great, but just didn't get there.
1: Right on. All right. That brings us to trivia. Quarter number two. This is final month for quarter number two, people. So that's uh, it's it's actually very close. Steve, out of nowhere, took first place with twenty-three. Myself, Todd, at twenty-two. Joe with eighteen. Oh, it's any I, man's game, right? I don't know now. how I
2: did. I came back from a ten-point deficit like a month ago.
1: Yeah, because your last uh, five have been four, three, three, four, four. Right. Yeah, turning it up, dude.
2: <laughs> yep. he's he's drinking the monsters in between, <laughs> right? <laughs> Fired up. <laughs> all right, I'll start. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. So I know I I said I wasn't bringing it back last week, but I did because Joe had the same question as me. But I am bringing it back officially this week. We are back into the IMDb parental guide. Oh, yeah. Starting with sex oh, and yeah. nudity. Most, uh, No, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, unfortunately, uh, for this particular movie. Piss in many scenes is the only Ooh, thing listed. <laughs> piss? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So not a very sexual movie, unfortunately. Right, lots week. of lots of pissing in this movie. Okay. <laughs> uh, violence and gore. A man has a hot pot of water thrown on his face, leaving severe burn marks. That'll do it. This is profanity. 69 uses of fuck. One one use of motherfucker. A few uses of shit. And a few uses of the word dick. couple dicks. Uh, 69 fucks. 69 fucks. 69 cool. fucks. But, but, yeah, but, but no, dude, no sex or nudity. That was family. intentional. Sixty-nine. <laughs> Alcohol, drugs, and smoking. Mm. A character is seen and is referenced as being coked up. At one point, we see her snort cocaine. See her snort
1: cocaine. Okay.
2: And finally, frightening and intense scenes. The main character suffers many injuries that are often graphic. Being that you are rooting for her. Uh, this will disturb and unsettle viewers.
1: Mm. Is it no exit?
2: Wrong. Because <sighs> she does drugs in that movie. She does.
3: Damn it.
1: She does. I uh. I, I remember her pissing on stuff though.
3: <laughs> I nothing. There was nothing really that that throws it out there. I feel like to make it obvious. I guess the boiling hot water on someone's boiling face. Hot water. But... I have a yeah, the, 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 the main.
2: The main actress gets severely fucked up in the movie. <laughs> Um, mm. and there's cocaine use revenge that's what that's a good guess uh, that's what mm. i actually thought as i was like right now, <laughs> no it's not revenge it's another one all it's right. is it kind of similar is it your next
3: wrong you want one more <laughs> last, one more guess last house last house on the left
2: wrong y'all you you're all in the right like idea but it was mm. actually a ready or not
3: Oh, okay. When did she
2: do coke in that movie?
3: I yeah, I don't remember it's the. Not coke her that eat. does the coke. <laughs> it's okay. uh, one of the. Oh, other, it's
1: one of the the yeah, yeah. The wives. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good yeah. I'm due
3: for a rewatch on
2: that one. Yeah, that's no, a good one. I don't think I've watched it since we reviewed it, and that's uh, yeah. like episode yeah, like eighty <laughs> like around this two hundred episodes ago.
3: <laughs> it was uh, it was on like FX the other day, and we caught the very very end of it when everyone blows, blows up, up, and uh-huh. it's like oh shit, it. that shit's fun. <laughs> that's so good. All right. Spoilers, one. sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. In House of a Thousand Corpses, when talking to Baby, what does Jerry Ober, aka Goober, say that he likes to do?
3: He likes he likes to um get fucked up and do fucked up shit.
1: Got it. There you go.
3: Nice. Thank you. I like <laughs> to
1: get fucked up too and do some fucked up <laughs> shit.
3: <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. My first one tonight, Blair Witch Project related. Mm, should have paid attention. In, in honor Son of today's movie. <laughs> how many days? Eight. Did it take? You are correct. Eight I days. remember, I, I <laughs> remember like that.
2: Eight. <laughs> <movie>. eight. <laughs> yeah, you, you've asked this before a long, long time ago. And
3: but. shout out to. Um, what was
2: the question? <laughs> I didn't know the fucking question. <laughs> how, how many
3: days? How many days did it take to film the movie? Oh, Okay. Eight days. Shout out to uh, Matt Blasey, big Blair Witch fan. He wrote the book titled Eight Days in the Woods. I've if you'd like it. to check it out. I have not. What the
1: fuck's wrong um, with you? Read it.
3: It's, it's I do need to read it. I, I've read the dossier though. Do you own it. And the book. I, I don't. I don't. I haven't uh, had the opportunity You
1: know to, I'm gonna look uh, it up right now
3: because that sounds really I, cool. it, it was I think it was post I think it came out right before the pandemic and I was supposed to meet him at uh, Monster Mania and I was like bring the book and then it got, then the pandemic happened everything got cancelled so he did write it, he wrote it a few years ago but he fucking knows it he, he is, I mean he is the you know, the guy. man when it comes to all things Blair Witch so he knows his shit and it's a book I definitely gotta read but. 20, 23
1: he, bucks on Amazon, I'm gonna wait a little bit for that one yeah. drop down
3: mm-hmm.
2: alright yeah. guess the movie Based off the letterbox reviews, are letterbox reviews. <laughs> First one. Lots of good stuff overshadowed by trash. <laughs> that's it. That's the whole review. <laughs> Next one. Uh, the the movie <laughs> might be the most 80s movie to come out of the 90s. The cheese in this is strong, but the movie is just so much fun. This is mine. Uh, yeah, movie definitely has issues, but I was able to look past them and just enjoy this for what it was.
3: Hmm. Oh, I know it. Okay. Say it. Popcorn. That's correct.
1: Popcorn. That
3: first one with Todd. <laughs> yeah, I figured. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's the big old meanie. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. From my buddy Brent. Tagline. Mm. Fun going in. Hell getting out. Ooh,
3: Hellfest. Correct. Mm, nice. Joe on fire today. It's nice, bringing it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. This might have came from Brent. He sent. Someone sent me. I can't remember the person. So maybe might have been Brent. Shout out to him. Possibly. All right. Three letter box reviews. Name the movie. Can the killer fuck off? I'm just here for the <laughs> dance moves. <laughs> Uh, Friday the 13th, part 4. Incorrect. Next one. (laughs) Steve. Steve. I need more horror movies with a sick disco track with a sick disco track like this one. Okay. Okay, last one. I only watched this movie because it was mentioned in Scream.
1: Hmm. I had two possibilities, but now the Scream one's messing me up. Um... Is it Friday the
3: thirteenth, part five? Incorrect. Shit. Is it creep Incorrect. One Is more todd. Uh want me to reread them. Uh, no. I mean you can if
2: okay. you want. It's up to Steve. No, it's I have no idea. Disco does not Disco um screen. Yeah, it's, that's they, me- they mentioned a fucking
3: thousand movies on screen, honestly yeah. <laughs> like...
1: Uh Stage Fright.
3: This one very prominent. Incorrect. The correct answer is prom night.
1: Prom night. Oh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep, yep, yep. Talks about Jamie sense.
3: Lee. Makes sense, right? <laughs> Dang it. All right. Brand
2: new uh, question this week. So based off this kind of the same thing I do with the parental guide, there's also another section in IMDb called Did You Know? So oh. this is based off the IMDB Did You Know section. Okay. First category which, which is, movie tri- is it
1: so I can look it up real quick.
2: Yeah, that's the question. <laughs> <Hang on. laughs> uh, the first category is trivia. The mud in the cemetery scene is made out of mythu cellulose and Oreo cookie dye. because oh, it's mitsu mm. cellulose? Something's Return turned Living Dead. Oh, wrong! And now you're gonna have to wait the whole. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> All right. I had to try. Quote and get your filthy pig knuckle off my desk. <laughs> pig knuckle. That's funny. Next category is goofs. It's a continuity error. When Christine hallucinates her piece of cake, having an eyeball, the cake crumbs disappear and reappear between shots.
1: Christine, who the fuck is Christine
2: crazy credits. The 1960s universal logo is used in the opening credits. And finally, Soundtrack, Rock Ballad, Unused Theme from The Exorcist by Lalo Schifrin.
1: Uh, I don't know, Joe, steal it if you got it. I have no idea.
3: That 1960s Universal logo sounds like really familiar. Um, Malignant? Wrong. You want to guess, Todd? I have
2: Slumber Party Massacre. Wrong. All right. So the answer was drag me to hell. You guys don't, don't remember, remember the don't cake remember with the eye on it? Any of those aspects.
3: No. Oh. They, I
2: don't the, really remember that specifically. The, the, the filthy pig knuckle, which is when the old ladies at the.
3: Okay. Huh. Yeah. We reviewed that. My actually, my, my theme this
2: week was movies re reviewed. So. <laughs> okay.
3: Love it.
1: <laughs> All right. letterbox reviews. Number one. This movie is terrifying because I live in an apartment building. Okay. Number two, Gail Weathers would have handled this situation much better.
2: Hmm.
1: And number three, now this is how to do found footage and zombies right. Uh, wreck. Correct.
3: Yeah.
1: Damn, yeah. this boy's fucking feeling it. Yeah. Also,
3: could have been quarantine, I guess. But Yeah. yeah. All righty. Yep. Last one of the night match the killer to the movie, oh, and tonight we have the blair No, now to shut up. No, <laughs> we have <laughs> tonight we have Samara Morgan. What's
2: the ring, correct?
1: What is it? The ring. Oh, the ring. Oof, bad. Back to back week goose eggs for myself. Uh, Joe with a huge night, four points. Steve yes. two, which brings us to Steve still leading twenty five. Joe and I tied at twenty two apiece. Yeah. All right, now for the Blair Witch Project, nineteen ninety nine.
3: Have you ever I'm met? I'm so the... scared
1: right now. I want to talk to <laughs> mom. Thing. Sorry. Have you ever met? <laughs> I should
3: have um... thrown on my beanie. Have you ever met Eduardo? Anybody? I yes, yes. Me and Sam had a big encounter with eduardo sanchez uh shout out oh, to that. Said yeah, that, yeah. Shout, shout out to our listener a listener uh julian he he hooked us up i got to have lunch with eduardo at the hotel at texas framework weekend probably like five or six years ago we would fucking for like an hour we got to sit down and talk like all things blair Witch it was amazing nice very cool
1: uh so directed by mr daniel myrick and eduardo sanchez 1999 the scariest movie of all time is a true story In October of 1994, three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near Berksville, Maryland while shooting a documentary. A year later, their footage was found. So yeah, so we are introduced to three college students and they're going to shoot a documentary regarding the Blair Witch, which is a local legend. Supposedly, like there's been a bunch of killings, child children going missing, all that stuff throughout the years, uh, located in the woods of Maryland. Um, so they go to the townsfolk and they just ask them, hey, what's what do you think about the Blair Witch? What do you think about ghosts? What do you think about curses? Stuff like that. Everyone gives their two cents. Then the three characters, one female, two male, they go off into the woods to start looking at these so-called sites of murder and cemeteries and things like that, uh, woefully inprepa- uh, unprepared for their incursion. They instantly pretty much start uh, arguing and not getting along. Um, they don't know how to navigate via a map and things like that. And then, of course, as they continue camping throughout the nights, strange things and mysterious and scary things start happening to them slowly until it culminates into the ending, which we won't uh, spoil. I saw this in 99 in the theaters with my mom and my sister and her friends. And at that time, I know we, we've, we've covered this before, but uh, at that time, like the internet wasn't really a big thing. So like you thought that the Blair Witch Project was real. At least I did. And I'm I don't know about you, Stevie, you're a little bit older, but everyone thought that the Blair Witch Project was real. And we're like, holy fuck, this is really happening, blah, 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 which couldn't fucking exist today. But back then for the younger kids, like you have to put yourself in our shoes where there wasn't like... Uh, a news article there wasn't Facebook there wasn't any kind of live feed or anything like that you got your news from literally the news or like a magazine things like that so if they told you it was real, you kind of gullible and you listened loved it then uh has it aged well for the most part I think obviously there's some issues with it and we can nitpick and I think that's what we're going to do later but overall I am down with the Blair Witch Project
3: yeah so this was my pick for this week I don't think any surprise there for people who might know me or have listened to the podcast for a long time. This movie just holds a special place in my horror heart. I'll never forget watching it for the first time. I did not go see it in theaters. I mean, me and Tar were the same age. But I was, uh, we were about 12, I think, Todd, 12, 13. Yeah, 99, yeah. yes, 12. Yes, yeah. so we were about 12 years old when this came out. So I, you know, wasn't really able to go see it in, in the theaters at the time. Um, It wasn't really one that was on my radar as much. I remember the huge buzz around it. I will never forget my sister coming home from the theater and like being like, holy fuck, like this movie was terrifying and stuff. I was like, my guys, like I need to watch it. So I'll never forget the day it was released on VHS, I took my bike, drove down to the local video store, Video Thunder, shout out, RIP, no longer there, uh, obviously. And yeah, I, I waited till nighttime. One of my buddies, shout out Jason, he slept over, and we popped it in, watched it you know, in my bedroom at night in the dark, and it scared the shit out of both of us, Uh, you know, because you thought it was real. Like Todd said, like it was just, man, it was a different time back then, you know, the really early ages of the internet where it would take you five hours to download a song and and days to download a movie or something like that, Uh, you know, dial up modems and shit. So yeah, there there was no way to know if this was real or not. And just, yeah, I mean, I'll never forget it. It was just a, a special, special moment you know in my horror you know lifetime and yeah i agree with todd i i think it still holds up to this day. i mean i've watched it countless times since then and i think it just it holds up like it just hasn't it's not really dated you know, the grainy footage just still, like, just feels... It just feels so authentic. You know, it really... You know, the the fact that they filmed it in actual woods, you know, the movie didn't have a script. It was completely improvised um, from all the actors. They just kind of gave them an idea of what to go off of. And yeah, I mean, and I think that helps this movie just feel so genuine um, still to this day. You know, they used all the actors' real names and stuff like that. And we'll get into it later, but I mean... You know, people like I, you know, I think put out like, you know, APBs on these people when they saw them, you know, it was, yeah, I mean, it, it's great. Does the movie have issues? Sure. But for me, I still think it is almost a damn near perfect horror movie as far as not having to show the monster and making it extremely effective and just using noises and that's really about it and certain, and you know who would think that rock piles and just l- creepy things hanging off trees could be so unnerving but i think this movie does it masterfully yeah so like todd i saw this uh in the theater
2: in 1999 i saw it with my friends probably because i was like 15 16 and i just remember th- also thinking it was real You know, I know people now would be like, what the fuck? How did you not know it wasn't real? You have to remember, like, when Cannibal Holocaust came out, the director went on trial in court because they thought he murdered the actors (laughs) because they thought it was real. Like, it wasn't it was a different time. And even 99, like I did have the Internet. But like Joe said, it it wasn't the Internet as we know today. I mean, YouTube is only 2005. There's no Facebook. There's no Twitter. You know, it's a completely different era of the Internet. So, yeah, I thought it was real. And on top of that, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was like fake news footage going around of it being real. Like, you know, like, as if you're watching the news and, you know, local papers would pick it up as if it's, you know, a true story because they didn't seem to know much. I don't know if it was marketing or they were just ignorant. I had no idea. So, yeah, I went in thinking that this was fully real. And going in that with that frame of mind was just insane watching this movie. And even now, uh, I think if you put yourself in the right frame of mind, seeing it as found footage, uh, it's a really creepy experience. And like Joe said, without seeing really anything, you know, it's mostly through feelings and sounds and, uh, yeah, shaky cam and all that stuff. It was, it's a brilliant movie. It's very important to horror history. Uh, so I was interested in revisiting it. It's probably been like five plus years since I've seen it last. And seeing it kind of from a more, I guess, like um, like a new eye, you know, having seen a lot of movies and found footage. I think it starts amazing. It ends amazing. But there's a kind of part in the middle where I was kind of like, okay, this is just too much bickering. You know, it's like watching The Real Housewives, you know, <laughs> but uh, in the woods, it just... Uh, and I had a hard time with a good portion of the middle, especially the whole, like, map saga, I guess you could call it. But outside of that, with the right frame of mind, I still think it's a great film and one that I enjoy watching from time to time.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, obviously there's a lot of bickering in this movie, but I think it, I mean, if you put yourself in their place, I mean, that is, I think, what a lot of people would do in that situation. You know, you'd freak the fuck out and you would start fighting with each other, uh, especially the map saga. I mean, and, and watching it this time, you know, I never, I always assumed and I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on this. Do you think they legitimately get lost, or do you think it is the Blair Witch or whatever supernatural entity you want to call it is keeping them from leaving those woods? And don't, I'm not trying to, like, look forward, because obviously, like, kind of the Blair Witch, Blair Witch 2000, whatever, kind of delves into this a little deeper. But, you know, what do you guys think? Do you think they legitimately got lost, and then with being lost... They're getting fucked around with, or do you think it is the supernatural sort of presence keeping them from leaving?
1: Personally, I think they get lost legitimately because Heather obviously can't read a map properly. Um, and she gets them lost frequently, even in the beginning when finding their original destination, she admits to it. Map reading is like pretty fucking hard. Um, so for anyone to like try to do that when you're not like an outdoorsman or outdoors woman, it's like almost near impossible. Like I know this is really this is really nitpicky and it's a horror movie, but like you don't get you don't if you if your plan is to travel south, you just don't keep traveling south, right? Um it's kind of counterintuitive, but like you pick like a feature, like, all right, I see that that tree is roughly hundred meters away. Let me walk south towards that because you've walking on a even train oh, I got to go around this rock. I, go, I got to go down this hill. You start drifting. That's how you walk in circles, right? So like for them to just be like, all right, we're going to walk south for uh, for four hours. Like, no, you're going to go fucking southeast and west and blah, blah, blah. So if you're ever in the woods, pick a feature and then walk 100 meters, then readjust your azimuth with, with the fucking compass and then walk again. So I think they were woefully ill-prepared, which you can actually see from when they're shopping in the supermarket, getting like boxed fucking rice and cans. I'm like, what? Is it? <laughs> Oh my God, it was, it was just ridiculous. So yeah, I think they were just so ill-prepared. They didn't know what they were doing. And she even admits it, that she was naive about the whole thing when she's about to die. Yes, yeah, so I think they legit got lost.
2: I actually disagree. Now, I think their stupidity and their lack of preparedness for the situation probably didn't help the situation. But I think the second that they find the rock, the Blair Witch kind of takes over because they do end up finding like the house. Coff- and coffin
1: rock or the rock pile?
2: Uh, the coffin rock. Uh, I I feel that they wouldn't have found the house just wandering around the woods aimlessly for days, you know, because they would have gotten so far off course, probably, that they probably would have hit a highway somewhere or or something else, you know, kind of like a Tom Gordon situation when we reviewed that uh, two years ago. I I think the Blair Witch eventually took over and was guiding them to certain checkpoints and really kind of fucking with them uh, because clearly with the rock piles and the you know the Blair Witch symbol everywhere, she's fucking with them from the time that they enter the wood. So there's a lot of reason to believe that part of that plan was getting them lost and angry at each other, which she probably feeds off of, and then eventually bring them to the house to get them killed.
1: So is she, the witch, messing with them from day one? Or does it kick off when he accidentally kicks over that rock
3: pile it's a good question because all uh i'll never i remember watching it this time too um i picked up on josh saying that heather picked up a trinket from that cemetery rock pile and is that what did it me personally i think the moment they stepped into those woods was the moment the blair witch kind of took over she knew why they were there she like you know what i mean like they were there to find the blair witch and and you know they found her. I think I you know I think getting lost was all her sort of plan and her you know I think it was her kind of fucking with them. And I mean I I think you can go either theory though. I think Todd, you have a, a I think your theory is not you know I think you can go either way honestly. You could see, and that's why this movie's great. You can really discuss. There's a lot of things you can discuss with it. Um, but I think the Blair Witch was was there from the the very moment uh, they stepped into those woods.
1: You know, you know, it drives me crazy, and I know Heather gets a lot of flack, which is justified. But when she she's a terrible interviewer, man. Like when she's talking to people, she does not let them finish sentences, especially the quote unquote crazy lady at the um, the trailer park. She's like telling her story, and like she's like, "Yeah, I saw the way," and she's like, "Oh, what she look like? Oh, well, she looked like. Oh, what her head look like, dude? Fucking Heather, shut the fuck up. Let her talk. That drove that drove me freaking crazy. But um, does uh, Heather and not Mike, the other guy. Do they have a relationship?
3: Heather and Josh. Um, yes. So this obviously isn't discussed in the movie at all, but in the dossier, which you can pick up super cheap, I recommend it too. It's uh, a really easy read. It's not exactly a book. It has like a lot of um, – it goes – It's. it basically goes on the to the investigation part of it. It's like a police officer. He picks up field notes. It's like his field notes and all this stuff. And it is talked about in the dossier that Heather and Josh did date at one point, but as far as in the movie, they are broken up. They had basically broken up. Josh even mentions in the movie at one point that his girlfriend um, is going to be looking for him and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, they did at one point did have a relationship, which goes into the theory of course that some fans have is that Josh and Mike brought Heather out there to murder her which is a theory I never gelled with, but it is an interesting one that you can kind of look into um, with fan theories.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I buy that personally. Uh, just they had so many opportunities and they never did really anything to you know, put her in danger, uh, at least on purpose. Uh, something I really commend about this movie is how important the first 10 minutes are without realizing how important the first the the first 10 minutes are you know you're watching it it just seems like random shots of them doing kind of useless crap they go shopping they're they're in a hotel room they do a few interviews with locals and stuff but how much of that comes to play later in really clever ways you know whether it's like todd said their ill preparedness for the trip to some like you know The whole, you know, looking at the corner thing, which, you know, pays off right at the end of the movie. Uh, The rock piles, like it all comes into play really in that first 10 minutes. And I really love that now. Now that you know kind of what the big beats of the story are to see how well they built that lore without you really realizing it.
3: No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's like another whole theory with this movie is what actually was out there in those woods. So Rustin Parr, of course, was the child murderer in whose house they end up finding, which, like Steve said, if you're not really paying attention to those interviews at the beginning of that movie, you're going to totally miss that whole the whole Rustin Parr storyline, which they actually did write a book. There's also a book out there, too. It's called The Confessions of Rustin Parr that you can read there's just so much lore behind this this whole movie it's amazing but you know there's also a fan theory out there that it is the ghost of Rustin Parr that is out in those woods as well and not the Blair witch which is the reason why of course Mike is has his back turned which is what Rustin Parr did to his victims so is it a combination of the Blair witch and Rustin Parr sort of working together um of course uh, the Blair witch supposedly possessed Rustin Parr as well. So, you know, there's that. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's all the Blair Witch. Obviously, the Blair Witch possessed Rustin Parr and it's all her kind of doing. But, um, I mean, there's several sort of fan theories out there regarding that.
1: Yeah. Um, going back to Steve's real quick, I think it would really suck if you did not catch the beginning stuff because you wouldn't like none of it would make sense. Like, well, okay, why is it scary? He's looking in the corner and it's a super scary moment. But taking it out of context, you're like, all right, this is stupid. But yeah, back to yours, Joe. I think I think it's a combination. I think it's the Blair Witch and maybe Entity or whatever using what fear they have on the situation to their advantage. And is the Blair Witch slash Rustin or whatever? Are they? Is he mimicking Josh to like draw them out, or is it really him? Or what's what's the deal with that? What you guys think? Is it his teeth that are found? Is it <laughs> like so on so on?
3: Great question. I think it is not Josh. I think he's at that point dead. I think it is them trying the Blair Witch basically trying to lure them to her at that moment. Because, you know, you think about it. you put yourself in that place. You're in the woods. Me, you, you know, the three of us are in the woods. I hear Steve or Todd, the two of us, you know, one of them goes missing. I hear one of you guys screaming out in those woods. My first thought would probably be to go run to you, you know what I mean, and try to save you, but I think obviously at that point Josh is already dead at that point, um, and it is the Blair Witch basically trying to lure them deeper into those woods and take them at that exact moment. Is there a theory that Josh is just killing them both? Uh, no, I've not. I've never heard that theory. It's not a bad one, I suppose. If, you know, you want to go that way, but I've always heard it's the Josh and Mike teamed up theory to kill Heather. Yeah,
1: because because how did Josh go missing? He just they go to sleep and he disappears?
3: He was basically marked essentially by the Blair Witch, if, uh, if you remember. the The big night is the the, 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 the biggest the biggest review, the biggest night when they hear the the baby crying and the kids out, which is just fantastic. Yeah, when they go back that night, he's covered. Uh, his shit's covered in that slime. So for whatever reason, the Blair Witch chose him, I guess, to be the the first victim, and he just disappears. That uh, you know, they wake up and he's not there.
2: Yeah, that that night is kind of what, to me, dispels all the rumors about the three being involved because they were all in the tent when all that stuff happened. So unless they had other people helping them, which seems unlikely. Uh, I think it has to be the Blair Witch. And to me personally, that's actually the best scene in the movie and the one that freaks me out the most. Like every time I go camping, I don't anymore. But when I used to go camping, I always thought about that scene. Like what if you start hearing little fucking kids and then the the hands like start shaking the tent and stuff like that. It's just, it's freaky. <laughs> so yeah, that's a great
3: scene. What do you guys think about the theory that it, I mean, and they mentioned it several times in the movie that it is just locals that are that are fucking with them
1: motivation like what is their motivation if we take it at face value and all three of them are dead
2: why like what, what were their why what, what's right,
3: the why that? why kill them i mean uh, because uh, psycho- psychopaths
2: well I, I i thought they were gonna like by releasing this documentary it would bring people to Burke. you know they're like you know how people are with their fucking little towns they they don't want tourists, you know going over there so if they're True. Kind of promoting that little town, then they're afraid that people are gonna start showing up there and it's so going let's become kill three kids. <laughs> yeah. Although <laughs> that that shell. would make more sense like today with like social media, yeah, you because know, all the fucking little Instagrammers and YouTubers would be in those woods all the time. Whereas back in ninety-nine, I don't know, that doesn't seem as likely that a ton of people would go there all the time.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously this town when the movie came out got fucking absolutely Inundated with people, like the it was uh, that, and I've been to Burkittsville, and it is tiny. Like it is a very, very small town. I mean, you're talking on like uh, in the hundreds, maybe under you know a hundred people living in this small, small, small ass village of Burkittsville. You know, they got a small little post office and a little, not even a supermarket. You know what I mean? In this little town, it's it's tiny. Um, Is it a real urban legend for them? More no, no, it was all completely, you know, made up uh, for the movie, um, but it is a very historic village, like extremely, extremely historic. Um, so they, they, you know, take pride obviously in their thing. And obviously nowadays I think they welcome it a little more, but back then people were fucking literally stealing the Burkittsville signs, you know, off of, you know, they were, people were just van, unfortunately vandalizing, stealing shit and stuff like that. They actually changed the way the sign looks, so, it wouldn't look like it did in the movie now and stuff like that. But, uh, it's, I mean, it's not, when I went there, I mean, I went, the, I walked into the cemetery, no one bothered me or anything like that. Um, and it was very, very quiet there. And then where they actually filmed in the woods is about a half hour from Birkinsville. And, uh, that, I mean, that still looks like the movie to this day. Like, Coffin Rock looks exactly the same as it did in the movie. There's still that creepy little, uh, there's like a little sort of, uh, Almost like a garage, like a mini house that they drive by at the beginning of the movie when they're first going into the woods. That's still there. The Rustin Parhouse, unfortunately, no longer exists. It got destroyed in a like hurricane or some sort of storm they had a long time ago. And that, from what I heard, the room, some there's still some ruins there, which I did not, I couldn't find. I didn't find it, unfortunately. But there's, from what I heard, there's not much to see there uh, anymore as far as that.
1: That'd be a cool piece, though. That'd be a cool piece. Grab a little yeah. piece of witch It would be. Yeah. So what do you think?
3: Which, what, what, what is right your
1: it? personal? Is it base value that Blair Witch is real and she killed them? How, and then who found, yeah. who, found the, who found the surveillance or the camera footage, as it say So
2: that was one of my yeah. questions. Like who found it,
1: edited it, and then released it. You know? Right. The Blair Witch is like, yeah, come get this fucking. Yeah, yeah,
3: put it on the, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. So they I mean they found it. Um, obviously once they, that, this, that takes place, that's in the dossier too. I can't a hundred percent remember, but I from, what I remember, cops or something, right? from what I remember, it was no, from, I don't even think it was police. From what I remember, it was a search team. Essentially they sent out like a search team and they found it from what I remember. It was like buried, like under some rocks or something like that. Sort of like how they find it in Blair, Witch too, it's sort of like a similar situation like that. And they unearthed uh, the tapes and found it, turned it into the police and, they kind of released them sort of raw and unedited uh, type of thing. Yeah. As far as, I mean, I think it is the Blair witch. Like, I don't think there's any, I think you are just going to go with the monster, right? Like, even though nothing exactly supernatural happens. So, I mean, you could say, sure. Like there are all these different theories, but I think them being lost, going and ending up in circles, never finding a way out. I think that is the, was the Blair witch keeping them in there, you know, fucking with them. And yeah, I mean, I think him being put in the corner at the end sort of confirms that in some ways to me. And yeah, I mean, there's also multiple endings too uh, to the movie. You can there's several alternate endings they did film. I think the standing in the corner probably is the coolest one. Um, there's a couple other you can watch them all on YouTube. They're all on there. There's one where she finds him and he's hanging. Um, there's another one where he's stand he's looking directly at her and the Blair and the you know the stick man figures are kind of hanging all in the basement that one's kind of cool uh and then one of my favorite ones is he is like tied uh like completely up with like uh uh in a massive like Blair Witch uh stick figure like he's like tied into it sort of like a crucifix um with like a bunch of uh of the stickmen like uh hanging down which I thought that one was pretty cool but I think they made the right decision which is the one they went to went with it was a lot more subtle And it just sort of worked and was creepy in its own right. But yeah, man, those and the bloody handprints all over the walls. We didn't even mention that in that, but holy shit, like that was so effective and so great too. But yeah, to answer your question, I think it was a hundred percent, uh, the Blair Witch. And I've always thought that. And I, 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 I hope I think we should cover eventually 2016 Blair Witch because I think it really does some interesting things with the lore that wasn't obviously explored in this one that would make for a good discussion as well. I I did see them a long time ago, the alternate endings, but they do describe the Blair
2: Witch at the beginning, like uh, what she physically looks like. Was there ever something shot or thought of to show her, even if it's just like at the end when the camera is on the floor, like just her hovering above or something, just was there ever like consideration of putting her into the movie somehow? I said she was furry too, right? Yeah
3: yeah yeah that mary, yeah mary brown she's like a great side character she is, yeah. like she's so she, she's just so like has like a creepy look to her and stuff like that she were her and her sort of description of Lidler, which was really great it was, a, it was a great little scene as far as i know when he when they run out of the woods from what i heard had heard they did put in they did have a sort of person dressed it was a crew member but they did sort of dress it to look sort of like a blair witch so when heather says what is that what the fuck is that when she's running out that is her not knowing what is out there but they did sort of to get her genuine reaction sort of dress someone up in a sort of Blair witch but I from what I heard from what I my understanding is they never really planned on showing it or having any sort of thing like that. Also I think it was budgetary reasons was a big part of it as well um i think had they had a bigger budget they maybe would have considered showing something at the end but i think based on i mean this movie was a revolutionary i mean it set a record it was like the highest grossing movie based on a budget like of all time i think it did eventually get passed by um paranormal activity but yeah i mean this movie was a game changer it, it really showed that you can just go out with a camera in the woods and turn a you know $15,000 or whatever cost budgeted movie into a hundred million dollar you know movie is amazing
1: yeah you know honestly I know we have it really well or really good you know where anyone can make a film now but it's kind of I miss the old days man where it was like to make a film was a little bit more difficult because now like the, the market's oversaturated right and everything's been done so I kind of miss that you know to be honest and um, don't know how you guys feel about that but also a couple of follow-up questions does heather deserve all the hate she gets or was she just unfortunately a little naive like she says do you think she's ultimately the reason why they fucking die
3: great question i think she was definitely not prepared obviously is it the reason they died though no. I mean like I said, I think the the moment they step into those woods they were doomed. Um so I mean, she was wanting to make a film on the Blair Witch, so maybe it's partially her fault, obviously. But no, I mean, I th- I don't put the blame on Heather really at all. And you know, I think she she she, she wanted to, this honestly this is another reason why this is such a good found footage movie because there's a reason for them. To keeping the cameras rolling, you know, in a lot of ways, whereas a lot of found footage movies these days, the a great sin of why the fuck are you still filming, and there's no great reason for it. But here, it, it 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 makes sense, you know. They're they're filming a documentary, even when they hit shit, she wants to keep getting that footage because she thinks they're gonna get out, and uh, it's for light, right? Like they need light uh, from those cameras. So yeah, I agree. So
2: I know we don't have a question segment, but I do want to ask you guys just this one: What other found footage films do you think people should check out out there that uh, maybe don't get as much love as things like Paranormal Activity and Blair Witch?
1: Kind of a Holocaust. I mean, I know it gets love, but you know, trying to trying to think from the younger generation to pick it back on your question, Steve. Do you think I watched this with my fourteen-year-old, and she liked it, but wasn't like blown away by it? Do you think the younger generation? is down with this movie or does it not have enough because there's really no payout you know what i mean there's no there's no massive payoff i mean yeah it's creepy him in the corner but other than that there's nothing really what do you guys think
2: now you you, you have to really go into this movie as if it's real you know with that mindset which you should for most found footage films because that's kind of like you know, is, and but that's like really anything. Like, if you go to watch a wrestling match and you go in there, oh, it's fake, it's scripted, it's everything. You're not going to enjoy it if you're just going through, like, who's going to win, right? And you have to found footage kind of the same way. You just have to go in and think to yourself, okay, you know, this is, you know, real in your head. So, because other than that, on face value, there isn't much. You're right. There's just, it's a lot of bickering. And if you don't pay attention, the whole end is basically lost to you. And, yeah, it's just one of those films that you have to be in or out. As far as other movies, Joe, I know you've seen the most film
1: footage.
3: Yeah, just to kind of throw something into that question. I think you're going to immerse yourself in the movie. Like, you got to be off your phone. You, you really just going to... Watch it like, in the it.
1: dark, too, Is a yeah. must. Yeah.
3: watch it in the dark make sure you have like good sound too because like I had to turn my volume up pretty high to hear like if you're not picking up those noises in the woods it's not going to hit you the same way so I think you really gotta maybe watch with headphones in at some point like or something you know I think that would really immerse you in it but yeah I I think this generation is probably not loving it as much just because I feel like they're a generation that needs to like see you know, like the monster or see something, you know, but I could be wrong. I'm sure there's some out there. As far as found great found footage movies, Eyes Above, So Below, I think is a great one. One that not a lot of people talk about, but definitely one that is super good. I'm also a big fan of Grave Encounters. I've always been, uh, I always thought that one was pretty solid. As far as other ones, The Den. I'm a fan of The Den. I know a lot of people aren't, but I think that one is like really uh, a fun one and pretty solid. That's Hell, pretty brutal, too. It is, yeah. It, it yeah. really is. I think that's available for free on 2B2. And then you got, you know, your basic ones, obviously, like Hell House LLC, always solid. The other one, House of October Built, pretty good as well. And one that is a bit similar to Blair Witch in some ways is Horror in the High Desert. That one is a little slow, but the last, like, 15, 20 minutes, really fucking good and unnerving. And then the last one... R.I.P. to the director. Butterfly Kisses, mm-hmm. great, great one that I think a lot more people should check out.
2: I agree, hundred yeah. percent on butterfly Butterfly Kisses. That mm-hmm. that was going to be mine. It's it's yeah. so underrated. No one mm-hmm. ever talks about it, and it's it's really
3: good. Like they really mm-hmm. did a good job with it. What about you, Totter? You got any? Oh uh, no,
1: I was just thinking. I like Chernobyl Diaries. I don't think you liked it, but I thought it was pretty serviceable, especially Mm -hmm. the ending where she's like thrown in a room. Well, I don't want to ruin it if you decide to check it out. (laughs) Apollo 18 is kind of goofy, but it's still Mm -hmm. cool if you like space stuff. But yeah, I think if you, as a younger crowd, (laughs) also too, it's, you know, it's hard because if you watch movies now, like modern movies, they take a lot of what Blair Witch did, you know, like Blair Mm -hmm. Witch. Yeah. mostly was original. So now if you look back like, oh, I've seen this before, like, well, you didn't in nineteen ninety nine. You know, what I mean, this is like the Matrix. You didn't see Bullet Time or or uh, that type of martial arts fighting things like that. So, but yeah, I think you got to go OG and just go Cannibal Holocaust and just fucking go ape shit. But like we've said before, watch out for the real animal cruelty in there. So watch the animal cruelty cut part because there's a mm-hmm.
3: version like that out there. I just, I just uh, was looking at some found footage movies. We were talking about one of the greatest, Creep and Creep Ooh, Two. Where's Creep Three? <laughs> First i don't second. know yeah it's I do, been I don't like know. seven years it's gotta, dude. it has been forever you gotta watch it also cloverfield i saw was on a list and that's that's a good that's, one. Great. Yeah. that's yeah. an awesome one so some great ones all right are Come we up. rating this sucker mm. rate it i'm all a right. four
1: i'm a i'm a really strong four four out of five
3: excellent i mean no surprise i don't think i it's just i love this movie so much i give it a five out of five um you know, is it a five out of five? Yes, it is, hundred percent. I it, it it changed the game. It basically revived the found footage. It, it didn't start the genre, obviously, because Cannibal Holocaust was really one of the first. But it revived the genre. It did something amazing. It it changed sort of horror history. And yeah, for me, it it deserves a five out of five. Yeah, and then we had to see it
2: parodied for the next five years <laughs> yes. on every fucking still, TV show ever.
3: Still to this
2: day being parodied. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, but that, like, from 99 to like, 2005, uh, yeah. it was yes. everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, looks like I'm going to be the grumpy old man here, along with Todd, because I also give it a four out of five. Uh, I think it's great. I mean, I go back to when I watched it the first time, and it still holds up. The only thing is I find the middle kind of a little draining. But outside of that, though, love the movie it's super important to horror history and uh, i appreciate this movie just existing and get, i got to experience that thinking it was real one time so <laughs> great yeah which will never
1: happen again ever
2: no unless, unless know, they put a snuff film out there. And, and, and they, they try they try eh? they try mm-hmm. so much there was one i watched like last year the year before where i don't remember what the name of it was but it was like a the vatican bandit and all this shit like you know like it's just it's just it doesn't work anymore vatican yeah bandit. yeah yeah it was like this whole thing where they the probably... waters
3: tried to do like a similar marketing yeah
2: skimmer ink and yeah. It just, yeah it's just yeah
1: it's impossible
3: no
2: that
1: those those days are gone right yeah
3: well one last thing it's a new one's coming it's been announced uh oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, the new Blair Witch Project is in the works. Unfortunately, it was rumored that Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Merrick was coming back. He shot down those rumors. He said, we're not coming back. We really have nothing to do with it, unfortunately, because I know they originally wanted to do, uh, when I met Eduardo, he wanted to do like a, a prequel. Like he wanted to do a period piece like with the original Blair Witch, which I think is a cool way to go. I've always said that. I think that'd be a perfect sort of, way to kind of look into the backstory of it all rather than just continuously putting them in the woods, which Blair Witch 2 did do, but also, did, you know, I like that they kind of went into the sort of off the, you know, I know, say what you want will about Blair Witch 2, but I like that they tried to do something different, whereas 2016's Blair Witch, they kind of copied the same beats as as the first movie. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys want to see, I guess? What, what are your thoughts are, like, on a new Blair Witch? What, what do you want to see out of it?
1: I think I would like to see maybe a relative of Heather, or Mike, or Josh, or whatever, like, you know, my...
3: Like 2016? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that since. All right, yeah, it was um, Heather's, like, brother,
1: I think, it? or something.
3: It was one of Heather's relatives. I remember liking that one.
1: I remember thinking it was pretty cool.
3: I remember th- like liking it too at the time, but I'd be interested to see like yeah. how it is now. I mean, because th- the only thing I didn't like is that the director came out and said it was like an alien like life oh, force at some point. I'm like, what like the that. fuck are we doing here? Like, <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> I don't know, because like either you go completely different and you make people
3: mad, or you repeat yeah. the same
1: fucking formula and you make people mad. So it's like, well, I guess to answer this question first. Do you think Blair Witch the the original could have benefited from Seeing something at the end like something like a glimpse a flash like saint maud happens her on fire for like a microsecond do you think something like that would have been good and then to, to with the sequel do you expand upon that like do you actually show show stuff happening
3: yeah i mean i think what made i mean would it have benefited no i mean i think it was perfect the way it is had they at the end you see maybe a rather than you see Mike, you see maybe like a really quick glimpse of the witch. I think that would have been effective too. And would have been really cool. Was it needed? No, but would it have been cool? Sure.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I think. I think when Heather gets dropped and the camera's on the ground, just a quick shot of her hovering. Cause I think they mentioned that, that she hovers, she doesn't like walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just really like half a second, just she's hovering into frame black. That, that's it. You know, just, mm-hmm. uh, Hammer So I'm
1: like, home. Some, like I, I think it would be cool. Like some really dirty taloned feet just floating across the fucking screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Heather mm-hmm. screaming or something like,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah. What do you guys think for the sequel though? Like, what do you guys want? I,
3: I, I would like what I just said. I would like to see sort of like a, a prequel period piece. Now, I think as far as a mainstream audience, I don't know if they would like that as much. So I think they'll probably go a similar beat as you know, the Blair Witch movies we've been getting, but I think as far as interesting, I would love to see a backstory like on the Blair Witch and how she came to be. Yeah,
2: the the Blair Witch, but like the witch, you know, like the yeah the, sure. that st- yeah. that style of mm-hmm. film. So yeah, I I, I don't that's like going witch. backwards, but I I think that's the best way to go in this particular situation because what else can you do in the future? Like like you said, just send them to the woods again and go through the right. process again. It just doesn't work.
1: Be cool to see mm-hmm. some easter eggs though like them finding stuff from the original movie
2: but yeah mm-hmm. did they is... do that in the first one <laughs> did they, okay. they did. In, in, the 2016
3: in part two and uh i can't remember it's, man, it's been a while we to, yeah we need to watch it yeah. we need to do some yeah. more watch for mm-hmm. that i mean blair witch 2 obviously they find the tapes they find mm-hmm. like the original right. uh tapes again but Book of shadows yeah. is that what it's called yeah book of shadows yeah mm-hmm. All right, folks, that is going to be it for this week. We hope you enjoyed our review of the Blair Witch Project. Next week, we are going to be reviewing a double feature. We are going to be doing The Ring and Ring U. You can check out The Ring is available in America on Netflix, and Ring U is available over on Shutter. So check that out before next week. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on any of our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the horror squad podcast, email us anytime, the horror podcast at gmail.com. And of course the absolute best way to keep up with us is our discord. Just send us a DM via any of our socials and we will get you that link to join our discord completely free, amazing community over there. Please join us over there. Uh, you can also buy merch. If you'd like to support us, tpublic.com backslash the podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on uh, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And I think that is it. So we'll see you guys next week for our double feature of The Ring and Ring You. And one last thing, stick around for our interview with, who is it, Steve? Carissa Grant. All right, there you go. So stick around for our interview right after this. Bye. All right.
2: Uh... Hello everyone and welcome back to the Horror Squad podcast where tonight we have a very special guest. She's the co-writer and co-creator of the comic series Redemption, which currently has four issues released with issue five launching June 20th. Carissa Grant, thank you for coming on our show.
0: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
2: Uh, can you tell our listeners what the Redemption comic series is about?
0: Um, So it's pretty much... um kind of like a Romeo and Juliet and hell kind of survival story. Um, It's a demon descendant Draven and uh, angel descendant Seraphina, And they're fighting against the fathers that are after them to get this weapon that she was created from. And it has the power of souls in it. And if they get it from her, then they can tip the scales of the war in either heaven's favor or hell's favor. So they kind of just try to survive. Um, And it's a lot like supernatural and the Resident Evil world kind of thing. Um, so like the first seven issues, which is book one, which we're in the middle of, they start out in kind of a Silent Hill situation where they're trapped in this town that's merging with Hell, and they have to fight against ghosts, hellhounds, zombies, demons, Anubis, the god of the Underworld, <laughs> and uh, all this cool stuff. So.
2: Awesome. So this comic is beautifully done, and <laughs> you have it available in both black and white and colored versions. Can you tell us how that process was like and what it was like working with Jonas DeCosta? Uh,
0: Jonas DeCosta is awesome. Um, we uh, we we had we but we butted heads a little bit when we first started <laughs> because he is this is his first paid job, but he definitely knew how to do panels more than I ever dreamed I could know. So we kind of butt heads because he had his vision and I had my vision. I didn't quite understand what he was looking for right away. So it wasn't, you know, my husband's like, you, you have to find another artist. I'm like, no, this is definitely the artist. I just, I need to compromise and figure out how to make it work. And to do that, um, originally I had like five to six panels uh, and I cut it back to three to four. And then it gave him the freedom to turn those into like six to eight, because he says mm-hmm. these beautiful action sequences that are just amazing. And I would have never even imagined to add them um so as soon as i figured that out it was smooth as could be <laughs> and um he is not only uh just a paid artist he is like part of the team um and i got so lucky with him because you cannot buy that kind of loyalty like he he went away on vacation for 30 days and my husband said don't bother him which i was like "Fine." <laughs> <laughs> so, so i didn't uh and then two weeks in he wrote me and said i miss drawing the story so much and i can't wait to get <laughs> back to it and i was like um, I'm glad you miss it as much as we do because we were having withdrawals from lack of pages. It was driving us crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he gets into it as much as, as much as we do. And, and, you know, he gets really into it when he reads the script, he's like, what are, are they, going to be okay? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> they'll be okay. So, you know, it helps to have someone that loves that story as much as you. And it's a long series. Um, my co-writer, my co-writer and I wrote um, five novels just for this series. Wow, It's between seven and 10 issues per book uh book one and two are seven and book three we kind of got carried away because it's all zombies so it's 10 issues uh and he's you know he's promised to stand for all of them uh and if he doesn't we'll just have to like lock him in the basement or something so
2: <laughs> right <laughs> uh something i love about the art style and it really shows particularly in the black and the white is how gory uh a lot of these <laughs> scenes are there's a lot of action a lot of blood a lot of guts uh, is that something that was kind of written in or is that some stuff that he put in as well
0: um he was able to uh, come up with the gory scenes. Um, We wrote that, it would what happens, but he was, he definitely turned it into a masterpiece. Um, This, yeah, we, because we actually wrote this when uh, my co-writer Jessica and I were role players. So we had to keep the other person interested. So it's all action. I mean, we we don't really, I think they get like, I don't know, three pages in issue five to like, like talk and um, figure things out before they're immediately attacked. Um, so there's a lot of action, and fortunately, he does action scenes so well, you know. Mm-hmm. And he it, he just he does the expressions really well too. Just when they're just talking, and you know, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but one of the very unique things about our story is the two characters are written by two completely different people. So Mm. Serafina was written by me, all her actions and thoughts and, and, and speech and everything is written by me and all of Draven's is written by my co-writer. So when you're reading it, you actually have these two completely different personalities and my artist just shows the expression so much better because they're completely different. I mean, Serafina talks nonstop like me and Mm. Draven like thinks a lot, like my co-writer, like she doesn't really talk that much. And Draven thinks we, You know, so it's, it's unique to see that the expressions and he just does it so perfectly. Like we, we tried to find an artist that took forever. And when we found him now, we refuse to let him go. What
2: were some of your comic influences when envisioning this series?
0: Um, Well, my favorite comic of all time was Ghost Rider. That's what I started reading in the nineties. Danny was my favorite, but I, you know, I, I read Johnny Blaze too, Mm -hmm. um, But uh, most of it is uh, Resident Evil from reading. I I played the game Resident Evil 2 and I got obsessed with it. And I role played for Claire for 15 years. Nice. So that is a lot of influence in this story. (laughs) So
2: yeah. I'm going to ask you on a sidebar here because I'm a big fan of Resident Evil. And we do talk about it from time to time on our podcast. Uh, How do you feel about the recent uh, TV series, movie, all that stuff that's come out from the Resident Evil series?
0: Um, I did not watch the Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was told it would disappoint me. I don't know if it yes. really did. <laughs> I just told it would. I'm very, very particular about the characters, mm-hmm. you know, because when the first movie came out, I was so disappointed. I waited, what, six years to see a movie from my right. favorite? Game, and it had none of my characters in it. Uh, and then when they finally had my favorite characters in it, they made Leon like a douchebag <laughs> who was like a puppy love over Ada. I'm mm-hmm. like, no um but uh i don't know if you've seen the cgi ones Um, death island death island's coming out in july and i am like dying to see that because they're all together um and and my favorite of course is claire and leon so Uh, they'll never get together it pisses me off like they they did it like like, i feel like they do it on purpose right like (laughs) they were in the cgi movie they were separated and then they they almost went on a date in the last cgi one and then I think it was Leon screwed it up or <laughs> she screwed it up, whatever. Um, so yeah, I was very disappointed. But the the movie, if you if you ever played Resident Evil, you will love this series because it is very recent. It is very Resident Evil-esque. Um, the first seven issues are more like Silent Hill. Um, book two is more like Resident Evil One. They're trapped in a haunted asylum and they have ghosts and mm-hmm. our version of liquors, we have these giant salamanders that go on the ceiling and and there's zombies in there and then when they get out of that in book three then you have resident evil two where they're trapped in this um uh in zombie infested city with lab animals going all over the place and so yeah it's very very very
2: (laughs) (laughs) right uh like you talked about there are a lot of creatures ranging from the zombies the ghosts the gargoyle anubis as egyptian gods uh, are there other horror influences or perhaps things in history that uh, helped you write the story?
0: So all of our demons, angels, and everything, are their jobs are accurate to the scriptures. We did a lot of research on it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot in there. And you get more through it, you know, in different um, aspects of it. Like later on, there's like uh, Celtic gods and and um, Celtic monsters. And in book four, they go to an island which is filled with every month think of so it's got the the regular werewolves and more hellhounds and giant birds and skeleton birds and we have the zombie mermans from uh issue two or three come back um and so yeah we have a lot of of creatures we have for issue four five and six we have our version of vampires um and i did a lot of research on that so ours is a little different. They're called clotters. We call them subspecies of vampires, so no one can yell at us. Right. <laughs> um, but but um, they have a heartbeat that is every six hours, which is enough to strive off uh, rigor mortis, because it always bothered me that vampires would bleed in movies and they have no heartbeat. Um, but the thing about ours is if they bite you and taste your blood, they can track you anywhere like a homin beacon. Mm. Um, mm. And if you kill one of the ones in the family, the entire family will track you down until so they kill you. Mm so um in this these three issues that happens and then they have to go track down every vampire there is and and uh get them before they can get to them so we do have a lot of and there's also um in every book there's an easter egg so they're from a horror game a horror movie uh, a horror show anything like that like we have something from nightmare before christmas and the and mm-hmm. saw series and um of course there's resident evil in there right (laughs) Um, the very first issue has resident evils and the issue two has resident evil too (laughs) you have the typewriter from resident evil that you save on in one of the offices right so yeah we have a lot of influence in in there definitely
2: That's, that's awesome um one thing i've noticed going to conventions is there's more diversity in indie comics and the horror scene are there other female creators that inspired you uh to start writing comics
0: um, so none inspired me to write comics because I didn't know any, okay. <laughs> um, I just kind of jumped into this after role-playing for, uh, with my co-writer for two years. And we came out with 11 novels. We're like, this is kind of too good of a series to waste. We should really do something. I was like, let's make a comic, right. um, without even thinking that it's a little harder than just printing it out and, and selling it. Um, but after I got into the indie scene, um, uh, Lori from Path of the Pale Writer, uh, I don't know if you know her, um, she's like my mentor, because mm. I didn't think, I had. I I was told that females weren't looked favorably in the horror industry, um, so I wasn't sure how it would go, so when I was on Twitter as Worthy Chaos, I hadn't done any videos, um, and I hadn't done, uh, I haven't told anyone that I was a female yet in the very beginning, I've been doing this about six months, so about six months ago, um, so I I got called brother, son, dude, which is, fine um none of that bother me though son was a little weird right yeah <laughs> um and then she comes along like it's nothing and I was like well hell if you could be a awesome female horror writer she has zombies and uh cowboys I mean you can't beat that um so yeah we became fast friends after that and she's the one that convinced me which is ironic because I think you said this is audio only but she convinced me to do videos mm, yeah. um and I was terrified when I first started doing it. now. I've done like 68 of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting better at them.
2: That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, what advice would you give our listeners who would like to pursue passions like writing a comic, writing a novel, maybe making a horror movie?
0: Um, <clears throat> I would say um don't go in it for the money. Hmm. Um, you can probably make money if you're good at it. Um, but it definitely takes time. You have to have an extreme passion for it. Um, if you have that passion, then it's definitely something to go into because this is like the greatest thing I've ever done. Like, I love it. Like it's, it's five times harder than running my own business. So (laughs) it's a lot of work, but, um, it doesn't feel like work all the time. Um, the other thing I'm going to say is number one, get in with other indie people because they are super supportive. You know, I I was left alone in my little Twitter world and then, you know, indie people started coming out. And uh, once I started talking to them, it's like, they're so super supportive. Like they help you with your Kickstarter, they help you succeed. And I think, I mean, my last campaign funded in six hours and it's because of all the indie people that showed up for, you know, my, my launch party. And it was just an awesome experience to have all these people. Uh, And I've become like an unofficial PR person for, uh, the new indie people. So when new people come in, I immediately, they're kickstarters. I try to get them on shows and, and all that stuff. So I I absolutely love the community. Um, I just did a show this past weekend and talked to like four different people that are wanting to get into it. And I was like, oh, you gotta message me. I can get you on shows and I can do all that stuff. So I absolutely love doing it. But um, you just gotta have that passion and that drive and you know get get out there and do it. Just right. jump into it like me, like an idiot. Just jump right in.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> um so you you mentioned that uh this series is going to go on for a while you have a lot of stories uh is this all you like anticipate doing or is there maybe some other mediums that you like to maybe to dip your toe in
0: so i absolutely the the ultimate goal of this series is i want to rate it our animated series like mm-hmm. i just right. i would love to have an animated series i would love to be popular enough to get some of the voices from supernatural um, to do it. Um, I don't think I'm cool enough to get Leon from you know Resident Evil, but that would be awesome. Um, but yeah, I think an animated show would be best, especially because it's so long and people would age. <laughs> I mean, right. it's like this series alone. And there's a series two we started, but series one alone um is fifty issues. So and they're already written. So um, it's gonna happen eventually whether I lose my house or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's the animated series would be like my dream come true kind of thing.
2: Yeah. yeah that for sure uh <laughs> so where can people follow you online to know about your career your projects like the redemption series and where can people support this project
0: so um i have two i'm on both facebook and twitter the most so on twitter i'm at worthy underscore chaos, uh and i have about 5200 followers um, so I, 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 tweet a lot on there. I have a Facebook group and a Facebook page, but if you go to worthy chaos, Facebook, uh, group, then I show rewards ahead of time. I show covers, uh, pages that come out ahead of time. They get to see everything that comes out. Uh, and I just started that about, I think two weeks ago or something like that. And so we only have about 450 members, but it's, it's a, you know, a close, um, group. And new indies can also put their kickstarters in there when they start. Artists can show off their stuff, so it's very friendly to you know to support each other. um And you can also look me up on Chrisa Grant um, on Facebook. I talk to almost anyone. I'm the person that you know would get kidnapped all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I just talked to any stranger. Um, but yeah, and for Kickstarter, all you have to do is search Worthy Chaos. We're the only one that pops up. Um, and like you said, uh, June twentieth through um. July 17th, I believe, is this Kickstarter for uh issue five. We have a lot of, a lot of cool add-ons and rewards. I am merch crazy, so there's tons of merch. We have a really, really cool add-on and a reward tier that you could be drawn in as a zombie in issue eight. Nice and you can pick you could pick your death, um, which at the con people were thrilled about and came up with way more unique things than me. Oh <laughs> um, so, and we just did that for vampires for issue six, and it was. my artist just sent me the photo and it looks so cool to see they all got their heads chopped up so sorry um but yeah so Worthy Chaos we pretty much will show up on any platform so
2: that's that's awesome all right so you can purchase the first four issues today with issue five coming June 20th and issue six on August 8th you can also pick up the paperback graphic novel on October 3rd thank you very much for coming on the show we really appreciate it
0: thank you this is a lot of fun I appreciate it
3: my eyes. am scared to open them.